welcome to another episode of Hell in a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt to make sense of the Attitude Era of WWE 20 years later. I am your host, Aaron Benoit, and joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Hello, stupid idiots. Who, who, may, have a, <laughs> who may have read a book for this. Wow, I know, super off-brand, uh, but yeah, it happened. I, I will say, technically, I think I read three quarters of a book, but yes. <laughs> was, it a, was it a book on tape? No, it was actual uh, books with words. Whoa. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I do. I really want to find. Well, we'll get to it in a minute, actually. Um, okay. and, and experience this all for the first time. Eric Silver. Happy to be on the podcast. That's currently taking up about 95% of my hard drive. Excellent. Um, I have been very excited for this episode ever since Bobby suggested it to me um, a few months ago. And I've been... Uh, doing my research as well. We've been throughout this podcast looking at the rise of a number of talents. So Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, and so much of those rises have been very insular within the WWF. But there is one competitor who would join the WWF in August 1999 who had already built an impressive resume around the world before this. I'm speaking of Le Champion, Chris Jericho. And what, what I was going to say earlier, I really hope that there's a uh, there's an audiobook version of Chris Jericho's podcast, or of Chris Jericho's uh, autobiography, because that could be up there with the kid stays in the picture as far as, like, great audiobooks to listen to. Uh, he's so good. He's He's so funny. Like, just amazingly like intuitively talented at being very funny i will say having read the book there is uh he is very funny but he does like often i mean often like make a make seinfeld references and things like that where it's just like he just like like, tiptoes a little too much like over the line where it's kind of like well like of like uh his worst is like the best family guy episode but you know what i mean like there is they're right up against each other at certain points so it it was hard because i did i'm sorry bobby are we talking like in the middle of a story he'll just go like no soup for you Literally, like honestly, he'll like make a reference to like uh, Art Vandelay or whatever. Like I like deep, oh. deep Seinfeld cuts. I know that because my family is like a deep cut Seinfeld reference fa- family. They do it all. All they do is make Seinfeld jokes all the time. So well, they grew up in the tri-state area. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's so ingrained. But he picks up on like even like the little things, like and un- totally unnecessarily too. I mean, and, and I want to say maybe a couple times every chapter. <laughs> Well, here's here's what you know. They talk about into, uh, emotional intelligence and like um, academic intelligence. There's like different kinds of intelligence. I think there's also different kinds of like uh, humor capabilities. There's like intellectual humor, uh, and then there's also like emotional humor. I would say, and I think that. Chris Jericho has amazing emotional humor, if that makes sense. Hmm. That's true. But even the Seinfeld references, and we're just like diving like right in. I think even the Seinfeld references are like a good uh, indicator that he's also very pop culture savvy. Like he hmm. is actually incredibly pop culture savvy, I think, which makes his humor always feel a little sharper than other people that just feel like they've only ever watched wrestling and nothing that wasn't wrestling. <laughs> 
Yes, but I mean, he should also know that uh, you got to stop with the Seinfeld ref- references. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, this book, though, yeah, also it's came a crutch. out. Uh, this was his first book, so it was probably the oldest and therefore, I guess, the closest to the source. <laughs> well, oh, did it come out in like 2002? And he's just probably. like, this will never end. Yeah, probably something like it must have been something like that because this book was covering like up until his debut at, at WWF, like literally the moment the clock struck down was like what the where it ended. That's um, cool. And I mean, we we do have to say, so we're recording this on October 3rd, and I think it was just last week that he celebrated his 30th year in the business. Like 30 years since his first fucking, like since his debut in 1990. I mean, what a history. And like, honestly, I feel like pretty, uh, escaped a lot of major injury. Mm -hmm. Uh, just fucking, just, I mean, like watching this made me because i feel like we've what we we recently got through a slog of episodes that were like crappy pay-per-views the never-ending ministry bullshit uh and then tv wrestling currently has also been sort of like womp womp so i just felt really like blah about wrestling and re-engaging with chris jericho like this has like rekindled my love of wrestling i was like i know we have the internet but i want to trade tapes still <laughs> like very well no it's eager. it's 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 funny, like I I wasn't sure if it was. I mean, I mean, and we'll get into the 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 matches that we talk about, but I wasn't sure if it was recency bias or what. But I was like watching matches from like '95 and going, I don't see. I like I like I didn't see any of those kinds of matches, that kind of wrestling happening in like most of the WWF stuff that we've watched to date. Do you know what I mean? So you're saying like, it was like, like the stuff that's going on in WWF that we watched, and also the WWE product and AEW product that we're watching now. I don't see stuff like Chris Jericho was no. doing in '95 no. through '98. I mean, it, it's 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 Chris Jericho. It's also like everybody Chris Jericho was working with as well. Uh, as I said, we'll get into it, but mm-hmm. like there is a there's an energy to a lot of these matches that I just it's just missing from wrestling from, or like, you know, it's a, it's a thing. It's a part of wrestling that I was like, like this was, um, this was the homework where I was like, Oh shit, maybe WCW was the better product. <laughs> well, uh, we'll talk a lot about, we get into like his role there. Cause that what the book gave me a lot of was like the lay of the land and things like that for like what the politics were like in the back and, and what the product will be showing on the front. I think it's going to be, it'd be interesting to talk about that, but also keep in mind, like Japan, it's a different style of wrestling. It literally is. It's not the same. It's, you know, there's right. It's like and, strong style, right? Yeah. Like the, everything about it is very, it's different. Like it, it's, it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities, but there's also like a lot of like small cultural differences and like stylistic differences that like encourages more, uh, you know, obviously like hard strikes, but like different like grapples and reversals and chain wrestling. Uh, and yeah. same thing like the British style, like they're different. There really are like, di- like even the Canadian style is- and versus like the Lucha Libre style, like they're all going to be very different. Um, when you watch them back, like against each other. But well, when you watch Jericho, it's, it's like all of them. You can, exactly. you can see all of them on display. Well, that's why he's such an interesting guy because before, even if this, uh, even before we get to the first match we watched, you know, he had been, training he was born in new york and then grew up in canada father was a hockey player and then he wanted to go into wrestling studied at the heart school with the hearts uh in canada how how do you 
How do you study it? Sorry, I, 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 I just to interject. How do you study at the Hart School? Is it like Professor X in in Westchester, <laughs> where he just like like he finds a, a lonely boy who's like been chased down by a mob because he's like cutting too many promos in public, and then he's like, "Come, come with us." Stu Hart makes a Cerebro machine out of a bunch of twigs and maple syrup. <laughs> like everybody is the beast. <laughs> Uh, but he, uh, sorry, he wrestled Bobby, in. Sorry, yeah, go on, please. He wrestled in Canada and then in Mexico, so and then in Japan. So he was also he was like hybridizing all of these different styles, and the dominant wrestling style, even still in America and the territories, is still your basic like big man, strong man sort of matches. Yeah, so he's, he's got hybridizing he's got all of, of this. He's got kind of a uh, a Wesley versus Inigo Montoya kind of vibe in all of his matches just because he's able to he studied so well and he's been able to adapt to all of these different styles that he could have a good match with anybody i mean he could cut a promo against a fucking drone so but that's also and and that's also that comes through he's always really been like he's a big impression i got from you know reading the book and getting to know him better personally versus like a lot of these episodes like in preparation like i read a lot of excerpts from a lot of these biographies um, I don't usually go like cover to cover like but the Jericho one. I was like, oh, I need to. I really want to know everything about this because uh, he's just so committed to like the art of wrestling and like the mm-hmm. just like to to, to the business. Uh, but he's like that with everything. Like when he was in Japan, one of the, my favorite things I read about was like he taught himself to read Japanese, uh, and that was like really like an. In- it looks like one of those things that was like really instrumental in a getting him over because he was able to write. Uh, and it's like you know I forget which. Japanese, it was because mm-hmm. it wasn't uh, kanji. Kanji? No, it was no. the one that's like the most closest to um, like American English. The one that's oh, like 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 Japan, like basically he was able to. It, it's like more phonetic. Yes, you mean? yeah, 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 yeah. But he's but it's written, um, and he was so that, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one he learned. But basically by photocopying like a chart out of a book in a library and like memorizing, and then he would translate his own wrestling articles about his own matches to try to figure out uh, how to translate. So he taught himself that way, and then became like a liaison for the company he was working for with the other wrestlers. And it's like all of that Holy respect. Shit. Yeah, and then he was able to like sign his autographs in Japanese and like in the culture, like that show of respect was like, so was instrumental in like helping him get over too. Cause it showed that they could take him seriously um, as an American training there and all this stuff. It's super, it was super interesting. I mean, super interesting. I don't know. If Did he I, learn to speak Japanese? I think he could speak that phonetic sort of one, but he was saying that he could well, never, that he was trying to learn to speak at first, but it was frustrating because every, he didn't know which like Japanese to learn, and he always seemed to be ha- having the wrong one when he's trying to talk to somebody, and that's why he decided to learn to read and write it first. I see. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think if I were to guess, uh, I would think that maybe what he was, you know, the problem he might have been having was like the the polite form versus like the more conversational form. Like, because I, I feel is, like this the, is you the know, part. There... This is the part where Eric needs us all to know that he uh, spent a lot of time in Asia. I'm just saying. All right, whatever. My point is, you know, there is, you know, because like with with the re- with the uh, the language with the reading, I could understand phonetic versus uh, characters or like mm-hmm. symbols. But I would, you know, I I think there's only like you know, there's only just Japanese. Um, but maybe the forms of like you know the conjugations of the verbs. You know, well, it, no, like, he, was he was saying, maybe... well, he no, he was saying that he was like because like Osaka in Japanese is different than like 
like you know, there's like different uh, dialects. Oh, like I see. Like the dialects. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Are, are dramatically different. So he wasn't able, whichever one he picked was like not the right one for when he was traveling. I was like, because I was like, I was like, I don't know. I think all of all of language is phonetic. So I was like confused by that part. No, Got it, it was now. a different dialects. But I don't know the way you describe that, Bobby. I'm getting chills. Um, I know. Let me. It's, uh, it's so just... cool. And like learning about the dojo system and stuff like that. And all of the even and then all the weird like specific wrestle carnival world uh, cultural stuff about ring setup and trainings and, and customs. And it was fucking wild. Mm. Uh, so let me just. What's the title of the book, by the way? This first one, I think, was "My Life in Spandex." I want to say it was the first one. There's th- there's he has like a bunch of them. Like the next one then picks up at like the next portion, uh, but I think that was the first one. And then he then he did one where he just did. It was really just his stand up. Uh, <laughs> he just kind of re- just wrote out the jokes, which I don't know if it translated as well. So let me set up uh, the framing that we're going to be using for this particular episode. Um, I searched on the internet for what could be considered Chris Jericho's best matches um, in his pre-WWF years. And so I mostly pulled from an article by Nick Broward on the Sportster, Ryan Dilbert on Bleacher Report, and user Matthew Meir on Reddit, and looked for the, the commonalities and came up with what turned out to be a really great list of some really awesome matches that I'm really glad I was able to watch for this. And we're starting in Japan um, on September, I'm sorry, no, uh, July 7th, 1995. It's part of the Wrestle Association R promotion, because if Dragon Ball Z has taught me anything, the Japanese love to add letters onto the end of things. Well, uh, the originally was called, uh, war originally stood for Wrestling and Romance. That was the name of the Federation. <laughs> And they wanted to keep it war, and so that it became Wrestle Association R. Continue. First of all, why did they why did they lose the romance in wrestling? I ask myself that every day. Okay. Where so this is a twenty four year old Chris Jericho, um, known as Lionheart against uh Ultimo Dragon, who a uh, Japanese wrestler who also did his time uh studying in Mexico as well. Um man. I I want to know how much wrestling what what the impact that wrestling had on the creation of the internet. Cuz I'm think I'm watching this thing with like this horrible quality and thinking of the of people using used to send like used to mail video cassette. T- those things are huge. Must have cost like $4 to send each one at least in in 1995. And then they're photocopying all these magazines or, or these uh these zines. And it feels like the internet was made in order to be a storehouse for wrestling and make things easier for wrestling fans. Well, well, ARPANET was was created by a wrestling mark. He was uh, really big into the Ultimate Warrior. I don't know why. Hmm. Uh, by the way, uh, it's funny that you talk about how like uh, wrestling feels like it's at the core of the beginning of the internet because the clip we watched was at the core of the internet. It was from Daily Motion. I feel like I have any number of viruses on my computer because of it. Uh, the I don't know what was showing up in your like next video queue, but everything looked like it was probably a porn. But then when I looked at the at like the the title, it was just like something innocuous. Super weird, like flashback for me. 
Yeah, the uh, the worm from Hackers is definitely on my computer trying to sink a bunch of uh, tanker ships off of the coast. <laughs> but I mean, horrible quality, the match that we watched, but as far as the uh, the video quality, but holy shit, this might have been my favorite out of all of the matches that we watched right off the bat. Uh, oh my god, it was so good. I agree. I I, bar- I don't even honestly. I barely even have any notes because I watched the whole thing with my jaw on the floor and just mm-hmm. was like so, um, yeah, like exhilarated watching it. Mm-hmm. I, I took a couple notes because I was like, I was just so excited about it. Um, the first thing I noted, it was like it felt like synchronized wrestling. It felt like an Olympic sport. Those first five minutes where they were basically doing like mirroring each other and it was super super cool and extremely athletic mm-hmm. uh i saw a moonsault with absolutely no setup like coming from wwf where like where every time we see a moonsault it's like the guy gets up he says like a little prayer mm-hmm. he like sets himself and like finally does the moonsault and you're like damn that's awesome to see a guy just like like right go right up the 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 post and then just jump right off is amazing. And in 1995, like two years before anything that we're watching. Um, and then, yeah, like, and the, like there was the, even the pins were getting the crowd hype, like so many good pins, so many reversals, I guess you call it like chain wrestling, Bobby. Yeah. I, so cool. Yeah, I um, watching this match, I'm like, shit, why don't we see more, like, creative pins? Like, why is it always he, he, he wraps the leg and, and pulls it up where, where there are so many other creative ways that you could do with it? Yeah, it definitely isn't, like, in Mexico um, and in Japan, they do much more. And another funny story that came out of the book, this relates to this, is there's one of the pins that I believe was used in this, which is the Majishral. It's like one of the fancy ones where they have like, you know, their legs and arms bridged over each other like crabs. Um, But uh, Chris Jericho ran into Bret Hart, I believe it's Stu Hart's 80th birthday, and gave Bret, had taught Bret Hart that pinning combo to use at the end of his match with British Bulldog, the upcoming In Your House. Uh, And then Bret Hart used it. And it was just like Jericho gave him the idea craziness yeah i like that at a birthday party jericho and bret hart are just like all right uh you ready to go downstairs and give each other uh like ringworm or whatever the fuck it is wrestlers get <laughs> cauliflower ear or whatever cauliflower ear well yeah. you, the thing- oh, you you know you know a Stu Hart birthday party is like 20 minutes of party that's like all right boys let's gear up Right, like nobody, nobody eats because they know that they're gonna vomit pretty <laughs> yeah. quickly. Like every, like the food, the 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 barbecue is set to come out like after like the the main event is over. The cake is always to go. It, we'll talk about this a lot when we get the WCW matches. But one of the biggest takeaways you get from this, and you get from watching matches like this, is like you could just tell when someone really cares about putting a match together. And that's the thing about Chris Jericho is like he thinks about everything and he's so like everything is done with purpose. And even if he's given like shit, he's going to try to make it into something, which reminds me of The Rock in a lot of ways. Uh, Like it just can turn around anything. But I think even when it comes to the matches and thinking of like the most exciting spots, uh, you can just tell he's an innovator. and He's really thoughtful about it and he's not afraid to put someone else over. 
Yeah, no, uh, you know, half the matches we saw, he lost. But uh, you couldn't have, you know, you couldn't. I don't. It was. It was. It didn't do anything for the way he looked. So then we looked at from a few months later, also from the war promotion, their Super J Cup, which was a, a tournament match. We saw him from December 13th against Wild Pegasus. So Wild Pegasus, for those of you listening at home, uh, is a pseudonym of Chris Benoit. Uh, Jericho and Benoit had a very close relationship. They... Uh, it's interesting, actually, they weren't very close before working together in Japan, but they had crossed paths in Canada. Uh, and Benoit, I think, had already been wrestling in Japan. Mm-hmm. And when after Jericho had learned Japanese and earned the respect of folks uh, at the at war, he was offered a spot to live in Japan in the dojo and train, which is like very apparently rare to be offered to an American and all of these things. But he called Chris Benoit and asked him like what he should do. And Chris Benoit was one of the people who encouraged him to take the opportunity and train. By the way, I always think it's so cool when these guys, like, fucking just, like, live in, you know, they they completely go out of their comfort zone. They just go and, like, live in, you know, another country and just, like, live that lifestyle for, like, multiple years. I don't know. It's really, it's like, it adds, like, this other dimension, you know, to, like, you know, there are guys who, like, grow up fighting for a living and all this shit, but, like... I don't know. There's a lot of culture involved. Yeah. I, I mean, that's what I, I, that's what I was finding most fascinating and why I ended up like having to read the whole thing. Cause I was like, I can't stop reading this because it, it is just cool. Especially someone with Jericho's experience, which is so expansive across so many different parts of the world and so many pieces of wrestling that to be able to get a taste of what it's like in Mexico, in Japan, in Germany and uh, in WCW was really fucking interesting because there is these like weird rules and customs and traditions that we don't know about as we're tuning in on Fox at 8 p.m. on a Friday. It's like there's actually like an entire like society behind this that's like a little tiny world. Yeah, he's seen some shit, man. Truly. Um. So I want to also point out uh, Chris Benoit, uh, just on looks alone, just he looks fucking scary he he looks like a a cold a a stone cold killer like not in the stone cold way but just in like an actual i mean i know we all know it's very hard to talk about him it's very hard to talk about i made a note and i was like that was a real suicide dive and i was like oh no 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 it's like very easy to make a, a joke in poor taste when we talk about Chris Benoit and yeah, and, um, you say, yes, he does have the look of a stone cold killer, except that at this point he's rocking a look that I like to call the all mullet, the mullet that all other mullets must worship. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing mullet. It's like it's taking true. over his head throughout the, it gets bigger. It feeds. I feel like on the energy. I know. I mean, I, I know it's hard yeah. to talk about Chris Benoit. Um, but I mean, the fact that we're going to be inundated with him very soon, I feel like these, um, these small bits, the watching the Bret Hart match for the Owen Hart episode, and now, uh, two of his matches against Jericho is almost like, kind of like inoculating me to be able to talk about him as the wrestler while never forgetting what he is or what he will become in the end. Yeah. 
yeah, at the risk of being controversial, uh, I'm actually pretty... I mean, because also, you know, I'm discovering Chris Benoit for the first time as at the same time as I'm discovering Chris Jericho and all this other stuff. So, like, it's more, you know, like, I, I had no... I had no mental picture of him. Uh, and look, you know, what happened is absolutely terrible. Uh, and there's no justification for it. But I'm willing to, like, I guess, uh, appreciate what I'm seeing. And I, I can I can kind of uh, compartmentalize it where I can, you know, like, because... This match is also extremely dope, and it's such a different match from against Ultimo Dragon. Like, like first of all, it looked it looked super real. They had the like one of the realest looking matches I've maybe seen in all of the stuff we've watched. Like, Chris Benoit makes that shit look like it hurts. It it, and it does. Jer- Jericho and Benoit had an arrangement too that they could hit the shit out of each other, just like not in the nose and like not in the balls or something like that. And so, like, yeah. those slaps in the beginning, like, they slapped the shit out of each other in this match. Like, truly, Jericho said that when he, like, it made his ears ring. And Benoit was like, sorry, I did. I don't actually slap people often, so I don't know how to, like, not slap you in a way that's going to hurt. Uh, but, yeah, they slapped the shit out of each other at the top. Uh, it's crazy. It, 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 it's, it makes a difference, man. It makes a real difference. I mean, be safe. Treat your body safely, but holy shit, does it change how that match looks? How do you think Chris Benoit settled on Wild Pegasus as his ring name? It's... <laughs> I would say reluctantly. <laughs> no, oh, like, no. It's I, like... I think the opposite. I think I think he thinks it's like a fucking like, super dope name. Because why would he come out to it if it wasn't? Um... I don't know the way it, like first of all, well, okay, maybe it's the way that I think of the, the the words wild Pegasus. To me, that sounds like a Japanese person wanted to come up with some English words and like named him for him. Oh, okay, they were like, like you know, like these are things that are cool in Japan. Pegasus is cool, and like, and I think Chris Benoit was whatever man, like just just let me let me go out and and like and murder somebody for a little while. <laughs> I, you know what I mean. See? See? I mean, actually murder, suicide. See? See? It's easy to cross the line. <laughs> yeah, it is really hard. One of the uh, one of the fun like exercises during watching these matches coming in blind is, is trying to figure out the alignment. And it because Jericho does the cocky heel so well, I feel like it's it's almost by default that usually the other guy is is the face. But then seeing Benoit in the first few minutes of this match, like literally try to rip uh, Jericho's arms off. Yeah. Like this shit did not look like cruiserweight shit. This no. looked like this looked like guys like brawlers. It was, you know, like you talk about how the acolytes, you know, they look like they're they look like they'll just kick the shit out of somebody like these guys look like they kick the shit out of each other. And I think it was around kind of the uh, the Super Brawl match that I, I realized that just how well suited Chris Jericho is because he can he can um, he could pull off two hundred and five. Like you look at him and you say, "Oh, that might be two hundred and five pounds," but he can also you stand with the heavyweights and like, "Oh yeah, I can see him with that too." He is the perfect size to do any kind of match. 
like an AJ Styles almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Similar. Or like a, maybe a Finn Balor-ish. Yep. But historically, though, those are exactly, exactly the kind of size guys that struggle to get a push because uh, management believes that it's got to be someone Roman-sized. It's got to be mm-hmm. someone Hunter-sized. It's got to be someone Batista-sized to, to be the star. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like Jericho's like six foot. I looked it up and I was like, because I was like, I couldn't tell how tall he was. He didn't seem like he was super tall, but then he also didn't seem like he was very short. I don't know if like it was hard to get a sense for him. Uh, yeah, six foot and stacked. Yeah. Um, by the way, it was very hard not to look at, at Chris Jericho's dick in those pants in the uh, Lionheart versus Peg- Wild Pegasus match. Hmm. Uh, there were there were part especially. They were doing a lot of technical wrestling holds, and I felt like everything was, like, struggling to get out. No complaints. <laughs> also, holy shit, the way those guys do power bombs to each other is amazing. Oh, Like, these, yeah. like, the flippy power bomb, holy shit. Where it looks like he's setting up for a pedigree almost and then flips him up. And is there a, a special yep. name for that, Bobby? I don't think so. I think it's just a really well, beautifully executed power bomb. Man. I'm going to call it a flippy power bomb. <laughs> you go for it. Um, and the last thing I have to say on this match was, did did Benoit put Jericho in the Lion Tamer? Did I see that right? Did he put Lionheart I, in the Lion Tamer? I saw that. I, I that there was that spot. The other spot I called out was. The I, I was like, how do I describe this? When Jericho, Benoit's on the outside, Jericho's on the inside of the ring, runs to the turnbuckle from the inside second turnbuckle, does a moonsault over the top rope to the outside. I was like, what? How do I? Because if I called it a springboard moonsault, you would think that would be like off the ropes, out, like the apron to the outside. So it's not that. Mm-hmm. So I settled on a springboard moonsault from the second turnbuckle to the outside. That's the only way you would have to <laughs> legally describe that move. It was so, I was yeah. like, there, there are yeah. literally no, there's there's no word for it. It's so beautiful. Yeah, it court And he also, like, he also, called. he also, like, like, was that one where he he didn't get a lot of like distance no. from the ring either, right? Like he was like he like hit, as we know, the hardest part of the ring, mm-hmm. uh, like going down the apron. Um, yeah, every time he does those, I'm just like, holy shit, man! And the thing is, I I like I feel like that he's that's he's doing it on purpose. Like he's he's making these like really purposeful, uh, you know, plancha type moves that play really, really close to the ring and and make it look like it's going to hurt a lot more, like both people. And then he bows to the crowd at the end, highlighting again yeah. just the respect that he has for, for this promotion and for the people watching. There's so much in the jab, and we talked. We already like gushed about some of this, but like you know, you talk about the respect is obviously a big part of it. But the, it, the wrestlers are treated with such reverence, where they're given like they have sponsors that just like it sounds like it. It almost sounds like a sex thing. Where I'm like, Jericho, are you telling me what did you have to do for this sponsor? Mm-hmm. Uh, because they all they do is like mm-hmm. take them out to dinner and buy them fancy clothes and take them on vacation and do all this stuff. Um, like they like get like showered with gifts and women and concert tickets and 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 they, he went to he's, uh, Chris Jericho spent uh, Christmas uh, at a, a Hawaiian vacation from one of his sponsors, uh, and also the Yakuza are there a lot because apparently money laundering through wrestling is very popular for the Yakuza. 
So that also happens. Wow. Yeah, it's all just, I mean, like, here's Chris Jericho that we, like, know and love and watch on our TVs every day, but, like, he's lived a life. Where's that TV show? Yeah, like, forget Young that, Rock. That prestige TV show. Oh, my God. I'm like, uh, that's that's Ray Donovan. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I'm pretty sure that's Ray Donovan. <laughs> on a very special episode of Bosch. <laughs> oh, Hieronymus Bosch. Um, I also, by the way, at this point, I think it was maybe at this match or, or maybe around the next or the fourth match where I realized that uh, we haven't quite gotten to the to Chris Jericho, like the amazing Mike guy, the amazing, you know, the amazing promo guy, the amazing taunter. At this point, he's still got a little bit of like a string on his back because his, his he goes to come on, baby. Let's go. Are you ready? Like these are his like he, he does it a lot in Japan, which I guess that makes sense, right? Like they English is not their first language and in some cases may not even be their language. Uh and so you know, he probably just needs a couple like things that people can glom onto, but I thought it was kind of funny to to hear the repetition of it. That's true. Oh, I thought... That that uh come on motherfucker at the start of the match was I wrote that down that too. That was awesome. I thought that he was the, Are awesome. you ready? Is that he would do in his pro he will, well that's a phrase that will become familiar or we will hear, you know, him do <laughs> doing promos literally. Um Yeah. He he just always has like that um he just always has like that mentality to make sorry uh he always has that mentality of trying to like get something over. He's always trying to get over something. Uh, but I was impressed with with actually his crowd work in this because it's like during the match, and I feel like to be as young yeah. as he is and as early in his career as he is, and in a foreign country, uh, and in, with with folks like you say, where English might not be their first language or a language they understand at all, and he is still he's still working the crowd and getting a response, and they are like he yeah. is he is getting the reactions he wants. And I was for I think yeah. like the confidence that has to take, like Benoit didn't even try, you know, like that's, that's not yeah. part of his character, but, and also I think it's not even expected. Even I feel like Chris Jericho like over delivers in everything he does, which we will talk about with Jericho's w. Jericho's got arena awareness. Yes. Th- that Eric put that on, a, put that on some merch. That is, that's my favorite. <laughs> That he's got arena, arena awareness. awareness. Yeah, that's like charisma and star power. I, that's, I've never heard that. That should be in the. We should, we, we should sort of. That, you know what? This podcast is now called <laughs> Arena Awareness. <laughs> so then we went back stateside. And um, oh, and by the way, Bobby, really great job uh, getting through all that as I was uh, choking on LaCroix that went down the wrong pipe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what the fuck was going on? <laughs> Do I stop? Is he okay? Uh, yeah. I was like, do we mention this or is this just going to be like. I was, I, was, I was looking at the uh, the recording peaks just to see if, if my, my choking was going to, to interrupt the take. Um, so we, we head back stateside to a match that I that isn't as good, I would say, as as all the others that we watched here. But we're in the ECW promotion. Chris Jericho has been there for about a month now. Um, his premier match was against somebody that I thought we were going to see on this podcast a lot earlier, Rob Van Dam. But he's not in. He's not coming into our purview for a while. Yeah. Um, this is from ECW's Big Ass Extreme Bash, which can you think of a more ECW name for something? And the uh, but the idea of there being a Chris Jericho Cactus Jack match from 1996 out there and us not watching it was something that I just could not do. 
Well, this is important for a couple of reasons too. Mick Foley was in the arena and saw the Ultimo Dragon match that we watched. Uh, wow. When Chris Jericho is asked to submit tapes to any Federation or Booker for a chance, he says that the, the tapes he would always send was a tape of that match, the Ultimo mm-hmm. Dragon match. Like, that was like one of his best matches. And so uh, Mick Foley actually is the one who got Paulie Dangerously, Paul Heyman, uh, to finally give Jericho a shot. Jericho had been trying to get in touch. With, he, Jericho tells the story that he's been trying to get in touch with Paul Heyman for a year. Paul Heyman never takes his calls, will hang up on him, will lie and say that it's Paul's roommate, blah, 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 all that kind of shit. Um, and then one day Chris Jericho is home and <laughs> Paul Heyman calls him and he's like, Chris, I've been trying to get in touch with you for a year. <laughs> and Chris, like, he's full, he's just full of shit is like the takeaway. Uh, but yeah, the, oh, but it was Paul that Heyman, dragon. he's not here right now. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman's roommate. <laughs> Hello, this is Paul Heyman's voicemail. Please leave a message. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, but that so that match got so Mick Foley was instrumental in getting Jericho to this point. So I thought it, I thought it was just that you chose this match between the two of them uh, since it was such like a a point there. And not to mention the fact that this is um, the night before basically uh, Mick Foley is going to head to WWF and create the Mankind character, which you guys may have picked up on the intro for him. That he was booked as like the scariest man in all mankind from Stanford, Connecticut, the uh, most hardcore place, yeah, yeah, or something like that. Yeah, so they like re- they made like a very winky reference to it because it was like just pretty much becoming known that he was leaving for the WWF. Uh, but- I kind of like that ECW was like, "Hey, man, go do go do what you got to do. We love you." Well, they had a good relationship. ECW and WWF were kind of like cross-promote. Not, I don't know if cross-promoting is the right word, but they had a working relationship, especially with talent, going kind of going back and right. forth. Um, and in some well, ways, I mean, they, they got they, they, uh, ECW lent the Blue Meanie out. That's that's some real <laughs> love. Well, ECW, especially this is this is a little before the time you know we've been watching currently at the podcast. Uh, God, what is this a fifth timeline introduced now? But uh, at this point. <laughs> It, Jericho spends his time at ECW, which is sort of like a startup promotion. And basically they're, you know, becoming the sort of feeder system for these smaller guys, for this Japanese style coming in, for the Mexican style coming in, the Lucha Libre style coming in. Um, and a lot more of these folks are sort of passing through ECW now. I believe at this point Benoit's also in ECW. And like all the guys that are going to be kind of moving in this clique um, are kind of doing their time in ECW now and kind of getting over there Uh as that's becoming big and Jericho was very like into the whole like uh counterculture like we're like a freak show family vibe so just like he threw himself into wrestling in Japan he threw himself into wrestling in ECW um and like really like was like one of the ECW guys uh supporting them and whatever that's cool um I mean look uh I did not enjoy this match as much as I've enjoyed all the other matches I think, you know, it was a I I think what it did was it showed that Jericho is super adaptable. He can have a a basically you know, like a pseudo hardcore match um and like hold his own and it's and I don't know why this match, you know, like I don't know that I understand why this match is in Jericho's top list of matches, but I mean, obviously we all love Mick. Uh it's really cool. I mean, you want to talk about like two guys that embody kind of the same thing, right? Like Chris Jericho puts as much care and attention into what he does, I think, as Mick Foley does. Um, it just it just expresses itself differently. 
like I see what you're saying. Chris Jericho is like dude love, but in a but as a real person, they're both very cerebral with what they do. Like, yes, like and I think like in Japan, Jericho is doing it physically with his moves. His, he sort of brought his intellect to like how he was string together a sequence. Um, and I think we're going to yeah. see him bring that same intellect to his promos. And Mick Foley's the same way physically. The things he puts his body through, and also like his wordplay. Uh, and like double entendre yeah. and 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 his he's very cerebral with how he sets things up and the motivation for things and the story and the little bits of Uncle Paul and 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 mommy and all those things uh, because he's thinking about the details. Yeah, exactly. So then after this match, uh, sorry, after uh, after this, we then move to fall of 1996 for the fall brawl. Um, I, uh, I really like the names of the WCW pay-per-views. Same. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he came, so, I'm sorry, I, if I start boring everybody with a bunch of, like, uh, no. <laughs> like, I feel like, I feel like we're on, like, the, the, I'm giving, like, the, uh, the docent tour of, like, the historical, of, like, uh, Jericho's child at home. I mean, like, and in this room is where he once said, uh, but he came to WCW, he met Eric Bischoff at a party. And Eric Bischoff at this point was scooping up talent from all over the place to keep WWF from getting them. So this was like the, we were the heights of like of this talent war. Um, and he basically thought Jericho, he told Jericho he could be basically WCW's Shawn Michaels. Like mm-hmm. the, like just could be their Shawn Michaels, um, which sounds like a great deal. But basically what Jericho realizes when he gets to WCW is that there's like an established hierarchy that's impossible. You can't change he called, he compares it to a cast system, which I think is mm-hmm. clunky, but uh, you can't change your cast. So basically, they were the guys at the top, and they were the names that were established to NWO guys, and they were lazy. They didn't give a shit. They did the absolute bare minimum. And there was basically like a class of guys of like him, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Benoit, Juventud, Dean Malenko, like all these guys that were sort of like left to their own devices. WCW was terribly organized. Nothing, everything was it was scrambled together. It was it was like not a tightly run ship at all. And basically, when Jericho got there, they gave him they made him the most blandest bland, uh, you know, meat and potatoes baby face. Gave him cheese dick music, and uh, kind of like put him out on his own. Uh, and of course, he was like struggling to get over in that way. And then put him in with the cruiserweights, which was sort of like looked at at that time as a death sentence career wise. That's it's so funny because. You know, getting that background, I my notes on this are that like this this match, the action is incredibly intense. It feels like it's moving at like at twice at two times speed. Like the way that they're just like going at it like ferociously and so quickly. It was like it was like um the fight scenes and like the Transformers m- movies, but like performed by real people. But then you where find everything is. But didn't you find the commentary that was underselling it and the crowd wasn't as into it as they should have been? That, like, it was an incredible yeah, no, match I, that felt dead. Yeah, the, no, the, the 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 commentary spent like half the time talking about like Rowdy Roddy Piper and, Dennis you know, Rodman? Was what was going thing? to be. No, no that was a later one. Uh, maybe not this one. That was a later one. But I felt I, I feel like the commentary was talking about future stuff going on later in the show, well, as opposed to what was happening there. Well, the main. But but I also wrote like, no wonder WCW was killing WWF because in 1996, when this takes place, we were watching fucking Sonny and the Godwins. Well, actually, uh, L- funny you say that. Um, this happened 
either the week before or the week after in your house mind games, which did have that amazing speaking of Mick Foley again, Mick Foley, Shawn Michaels match as the main event. Oh, uh, and speaking okay. of the, the main event for this one was, was war games where you had Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and a fake sting against Lex Luger, Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, and the real sting. So I can understand why that that's kind of what the, the, what everything is building to that night. And this match, originally when it was booked by the booker Kevin Sullivan, had told them that the match should be 80% Benoit. It was supposed to be more of a squash. It was supposed to be basically 80% Benoit, 20% Jericho. And they were like, fuck that. Um, they're like, huh. we could still go out and like have our... Because they had worked together, obviously, in Japan, and they knew that what they were capable of. And so they had a much more competitive match, um, defying orders. But the thing in WCW is that nobody... It was so disorganized that nobody cared. Like, nobody was paying enough attention to what was going on to, to get mad or put people in trouble. Um, so, the, but Jericho was basically supposed to get not fully squashed, but not have such a competitive match here against Benoit. Jericho's so smooth, man. He just uh, he, he just strings everything together so effortlessly. They're, I mean, they're both they're both great. incredibly good. But it feels like, like they, they work well together. They oh, so good. It feels Sorry, like what were you gonna say? It feels like Benoit's a wrestling machine. But it feels like Jericho is a fucking star. Like mm. he's every bit like he's athletic, yes, and he's technical, obviously. But it's all showmanship. Even when it's not showmanship, it's still showmanship. Yeah, I get what you're saying. So like Chris Benoit, you're right. Like Chris Benoit is like again not thinking about the future. He's just super like as a wrestler, just as a wrestler, super scary. He looks like a guy who will fucking rip my throat off. Um. And Chris Jericho, like, is one of the, like, he just, he, he doesn't give off, he doesn't make me have the same fear, but then, like, you watch him going and you're like, holy shit, this guy can, like, keep up with anybody. And he's, like, engaging and, and then, of course, charming. yeah. Like, yeah. you could, I, I, you could only, like, Brock Lesnar similar to Chris Benoit, where it's like, I can only imagine him in a fighting context. I can't imagine him, like, throwing a baby in the air and catching it. Like, you know what I mean? I can see him throwing a baby yeah. in the air, just not catching it. Uh, I can yeah. see him, you know, I can't see him, like... Over, dinner. overhand throwing a baby in the air. <laughs> exactly. Spiking a baby on the ground. I can, <laughs> I can see him, I can't see him, like, sing a Christmas carol. You know what I mean? Like, I just, like, can't see him be a person. But Jericho, I can see do all this stuff and be funny and do comedy, uh, you know, and, like, do other stuff and be, but still be a believable threat and a believable coward and a believable rock star or whatever. Um, yeah. What'd you guys think about uh, the commentary team on this? With it, my uh, Dusty Rhodes, right? Was that <laughs> Dusty, Dusty Rhodes? Wait, doing, was that Dusty Rhodes? Yeah, he was doing his. I'm just a simple small town lawyer, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do declare that that might have been a rest hole right there. And uh, and Bobby the Brain Heenan also. Oof, R.I.P. Yeah. I I think one of the back in in like the the earlier nine early nineties, one of the only reasons to go back to some of those things is to hear Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary. Yeah, no, he's fun. The commentary in W in WCW is so different. It's like it's very sports feeling mm -hmm. the product is very it just feel i never liked it i like when i was a kid and this was like happening i had friends who watched wcw 
or like you know when you have like school friends you, you they, that you, you know, that you would like go to you know you're in fifth grade you go to their class at their house like once every other month maybe mm-hmm. um, and they'd have like the WCW video games so like I knew these names and stuff by proxy oh, and there was they... a great great wrestling game for the PS one um, Fire Pro Wrestling. Uh, which I don't, I honestly, I, I should look it up. I'm sure it was like some like Japanese, there was like a lot of these like Japanese wrestlers were in it and a few WC people I recognize from WCW. Um, and I remember playing that a lot, but that was like the first, like, it felt like the first like wrestler sim, uh, yeah, those, I had ever played. Those Nintendo 64 WCW games are so good or were so oh, good. Oh my God. Those were so fun. Cause mm. you just have the bat. Those are the first ones you can like fight outside the ring and stuff uh-huh. like that. Like. And there was blood for the first time. It would be like literally like square pixels of red on the character. <laughs> it's funny. Like I think, um, I think growing up, like every time I encountered anything with WCW, WCW always to me felt like, um, like when you when you see a candy bar in a foreign country. Yes, and you're like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? Like I remember my friend, my friend, uh, he grew up in a Russian household. And they never had Kit Kats, but they did have Ulker Ditos. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, yeah, he's like Kit Kat. He's <laughs> regular uh, Kit Kat. Like, he's, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's Spade Cat. Um, but, like, that is what WCW felt to me. It was like, we don't have guys, we don't have guys like the Big Boss Man and Rowdy Rowdy Piper. We've got people with names like Lex Luger and, you know, like, Thing, nothing made any sense, and like then they they're like, and there's NWO. I'm like, what are all these fucking acronyms? It's a little bit like um like joining like Nexium, like 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 uh you know your introduction to a cult. It's like, well, I was part of NWO, and then I realized that they were branding us with Hulk Hogan's initials, and then I had to get out. The quote I I re- still remember directly. My junior year of high school, I was talking to Joe Koskowski about wrestling, and I was a big wwf mark back then he and he was like man i just can't deal with all the magical vampires they have on there he yeah and and you know what he's right like i'm telling you when i was watching this this now i'm like i'm like these guys are doing wrestling that i was not seeing or or you know and still really i'm not seeing that much of even in you know 99 or whatever where we are like what was our last like our last pay-per-view that we watched it was you know there was like the hardy boys match which is which was great uh and there's other matches which are good but like they're good in different ways you know and like they uh yeah there there was no there was no analogous thing in the wwf to the wcw cruiserweights but I think Correct. It's, you, I think at the same time the cruiserweights were still like in retrospect we look back with reverence like this, but at the time, the attitude, especially the attitude internally in wrestling, like especially like in the in management and whatever, was that like it, it's it'd be like watching a Cedric Alexander versus Ricochet match now. You're like, wow, that's amazing, but also no one gives a shit. I um right right. Yeah, and I think it's it's also important to remember the sample that we're looking at, too. We decided we wanted to look at one of the greatest wrestlers of all time's <laughs> greatest matches yes, before yeah. he joined the WWF promotion. So, of course, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time is going to be putting on great wrestling matches. 
No, you're right. I mean, like, uh, I, you know, as I'm, as I'm saying it, I'm also like, well, there's also all of the fuckery with like Goldberg and like, oh yeah, Hulk Hogan and and like the finger all poke of, the of other doom bullshit. and like, yes, exactly, exactly, right, yeah, I, it's all you know. I do have to keep it, but just like just the fact that like this promotion could even produce this kind of wrestling mm-hmm. is like awe inspiring to me. It's like. Holy shit. The fact that like the fact that that for, you know, in in two years or three years of 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 watching WWF, I did not see a a single match that looked like that was Mm -hmm. that's a really cool thing to me. Mm -hmm. And um, are we ready to go on to the next one? Yep. Yes. And so I think when what we keep in mind now, so the next one that we're looking at is his match against Ultimate Dragon at Bash of the Beach 1997, which is happening right around the same time as the Canadian Stampede in your house, which is widely regarded as the the best in your house and like a be, like top to the bottom the best card from any of those back there. And the main event for that one um, as if anyone watched the Last Dance documentary, knows it features Dennis Rodman. So, so I think that it's. Um, I think that we just need to to keep in mind the sample that we're looking at too. Yeah, for sure. I, I like I I like that uh, they were like, you know what, Ultimo is just a little too ethnic. <laughs> Can we just call him the Ultimate Dragon now? Um. I like this match. I didn't like it as much as the one from Japan. Yep. But their chemistry still strings through. I think I and I think that this to me I think was the most um stark crowd difference. When you compare like yeah. the literal like gasping that happened in Japan or even like, you know, cuz obviously the vibe in the crowds in Japan is much different um, than what we're used to, but still they were enwrapped by by the Jericho yeah. matches we watched there in a way that these folks this felt like, you know, not as much. Yeah, it, it this felt like a like a like a foreign import. Like they they brought in some of, you know, some of their good stuff from the uh from that match that we watched in the beginning. Uh and there were, and you know, there was really good stuff. It was just, yeah, you're right, like um, you know, the the people they just weren't ready for it. They were like they were like give us our bowl cuts. We want to just be happy with that. <laughs> Is the crowd of There were good there were still good power bombs though. I had I I did note good power bombs, good strong style kicks. Uh Sorry, oh yeah, no those say? those kicks were dope as fuck and and ultimate our ultimate uh, whatever we call him, whatever the dragon is, his uh, Asai Moonsault is a thing of beauty. Yeah, I mean, these matches were not just a showcase for Jericho, right? Mm-hmm. Like, except with the exception of Cactus Jack, which was like, you know, fine. Um, a lot of these matches made me like, you know, wow. You know, maybe like, wow, Ultimo Dragon, awesome. Chris Benoit, awesome. Uh, <laughs> I mean. Awesome. <laughs> From the side of your mouth. Oh, awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you guys, by the way, notice that the ref for this match looked like Little Bill from Boogie Nights? No. I can't I believe, oh my that. God, I can't believe that we never talked about the ref's outfit in that first match against Ultimo Dragon, where he has like a satin jacket with gold war emblazoned on the front and epaulets. Hmm. 
He's the ring general. I mean, it's just fucking style, man. Yeah, it was a little bit. It felt like something that might come out of like a future Fenty show. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Yes, or like uh, yes, or like when there's a when there's a fashion coup yeah. over uh, you know, of our government. Well, you know, I'm ready for that. You know, I, I've been prepping for that for years. <laughs> Listen, Hope Hicks was a model. Just draw the connections, man. When this comes out in two weeks and they're all dead, that joke is going to hit differently. Yeah, this is going to be the episode that never makes it to the air. <laughs> like, yikes. Wait, what's that? He said this might be the episode that doesn't make it to the air. Oh. Oh, like the um, like the time where we wished Vince McMahon would die? <laughs> <Not> that. <laughs> Then to Fall Brawl, 1997, against Eddie Guerrero. I'm very excited that Eric got his first look at uh, Latino Heat, as he will become to known. Holy shit, this was great. I love this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a very, very good match. Um, I think this was Eddie my... Eddie Guerrero. And it's my second favorite Sorry. match that we watched of this of this bunch. I think the Ultimo Dragon might have been my... Ooh, the, the Pegasus one, though, too. Oof. But this one, I think, is 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 one of the better as well, mm. and it's known as yeah. one of the best. Um, people regard it as one of the best, like pay per view opener matches ever. Yeah, I I also have to say, I mean, there is uh, Eddie Guerrero plays a really fun kind of heel, where he's like, I love that he just like he he just keeps stopping the the uh, the match in the middle just to be like. To pull the ref's hair to be like, he's pulling my hair. He's pulling my hair. <laughs> like, such a good... You know, that this is another thing that I, I noted uh, as I was starting to watch these. Especially, um, you know, it's funny. I, I initially was like... Uh, I was initially thinking of it with Jericho because I was like, wow, Jericho, uh, when he's a heel... And, and we're not there yet, but when Jericho is a heel... He really plays a heel in a different way from what I'm used to. Yep. Um, but also, I feel like Eddie Guerrero also played a different kind of heel. Where, like, uh, and I guess I'll, I'll, I'll jump into it a little bit now, but, like, the way that I think of heels in WWF is, like, it's it's just synonymous with fuckery, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's like, well, there's... What were you going to say? I, say that... oh, well, I was just going to say that there's 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 somebody jumping in and somebody's and there's there's always a a manager who's like distracting and they're doing all this stuff the the heel the way heels work in in the matches that we've seen for this deep dive is like uh they're also very good wrestlers and they will also they could also win straight up they just sometimes also do heel shit and they like you know they they like find interesting, intelligent ways of gaming the system, but they don't cheat per se. So, because right now, like you, like you said, like this is happening, the NWO are like these cool heels, and they know that, especially WCW, like the NWO guys are not only the most powerful guys on screen, they're also the most powerful guys off screen, like in the back, calling the shots and like you know pressuring, booking, and running over guys and whatever. 
Although uh, the um, although the NWO team that they uh, put together for this War Games includes Buff Bagwell and Conan, so I don't know. Lol, 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 lol. It also has uh, has six X Y X X. Guess who that is, Eric? Is that X? That is X. Sure is. Yeah, I'm getting good at this, guys. They actually at some point will offer Jericho a spot in the NWO, and he's like, I don't want that, thank you. <laughs> um, which is why, ah! you guys, this, this happens way later, so we're definitely out of timeline with this, but at some point, there's a, a night where the giant Paul White, uh, Big Show, uh, costs Jericho a title match or helps him win a title and it's never explained why, because he was supposed to have, that was supposed to be why Jer- like Jericho joined the NWO, and then Paul White helped him, and he still didn't join, and nothing was ever said of it. Because that's just how WCW worked at the time. They were like, well, he's still going to interfere. Jericho was like, what? Like, so, it was just, yeah, that's how WCW that was run. WCW was run like Lost. Like, there's just things that will never get explained. It just sounds like WCW then was run like WWF is now. WWE is now. <laughs> That's what that's that's yeah. what it feels like when I'm when I'm reading Jericho's book. I'm like, oh, this is what it sounds like WWE is like now. I think um, the most surprising thing about the match against Eddie Guerrero is is the pace of it, because when I hear those two names on paper, I expect a nonstop stop uh, spot fest from start to finish. But just taking that time at the beginning to really build and build the um, build up the momentum to some incredible spots down down the line that upside down type backbreaker that eddie guerrero frog splash at the end just beautiful oh my god very special that you that you you, that was earned through um through the pace that they set early on i mean jericho hit that release german suplex it looked like eddie that like looked like eddie guerrero broken half landed on his head it was crazy um yeah the release german suplex was awesome the backbreaker to reverse backbreaker was really cool um and also another match style this is just another this is like another way that i've seen jericho wrestle that i didn't see in other matches it's so cool and like we're watching this because we know they're legends but as like they're opening the show here this is like us this is like edge on wwf right now basically Mm -hmm. Work. Which is crazy to me. Like we're saying this stuff, like you know, I that's why like I I keep having like a reaction. Eric, every time you're like WCW was doing all this great stuff and WWF is doing this great stuff because I feel like WCW wasn't like these guys were great, but I feel like uh, in real time it wouldn't have felt like that. Like WCW, I think was was actually more guilty because they had this talent and were squandering it. Mm. So they were almost worse. You know what I mean? No, yeah, I get it. It's like it's like we found the, all the nuggets, yeah. all, all of the nuggets of gold in a pan full of like river water. I am yeah. not a nugget. <laughs> By the way, I do want to say, uh, you know, at the risk of, I don't know, morbidity or, or whatever you want to call it, I feel like Jericho has had the career that Owen should have had. And I think the the fact that we don't have on this list a match between Jericho and um, Jericho and Owen is one of the saddest things, one of the saddest what could have been in wrestling. And of course, Owen was yeah. a huge influence on Jericho, and Jericho had like dreamed of like one day being tag team champions with Owen Hart. Um, like that was like on his like you know his bucket list or whatever. Uh, and there is a really great story where they, you know, they they 
crossed paths briefly a few times and once on an airplane for like three hours they sat next to each other and it's like talked for hours and hours about wrestling and their time wrestling all over the world and all kinds of stuff um and i believe it was at owen hart's funeral is when like jericho really sort of decided that he was for real gonna go to wwf wow it, 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 that's what, what a weird time to decide that you're gonna go to wwf uh that you know what it feels a little bit to me like like Barry Allen hanging out with Jay Gardner. Hmm. It's like these two guys, like you know, uh, they're just they're you know like sorry, sorry, Owen's just living on Earth too, <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Jay Garrick, it was Guy Gardner. Oh, Jay Garrick, sorry, Guy Gardner was uh, was Green one of the Green Lanterns. Jay Garrick, yeah, who had a haircut like many in the audience of. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All of these pay-per-views. It, it was of its time. So next we go to Super Brawl 8, happening around the same time as the No Way Out of Texas in your house, so take that for what it is. Um, and in an interview, Chris Jericho says he is going to take the mask of Juventud Guerrera. Um, three words. Painted leather vest. Ha. <laughs> ah. Well, Jericho, you know, is trying to not be that NWO cool heel. He's trying not to be this, you know, the the the, the heels that you end up cheering because they're kind of badass or whatever. He wants to be cheesy. He wants to be obnoxious and get, in people, get under people's skin. And boy, is he good at it. And, like, mm-hmm. this is where I feel like we're really seeing the Jericho that we know. Mm-hmm. Though, yeah. it should be said, this is not, like, the this is not the only time this has happened. Uh, in WCW, he was wrestling as a face. Um, but if you go to... In Japan, he was part of a heel stable there that was really big. That he almost like that he literally lucked into because the guy would have the other guy that was scheduled to be in it um, got injured. So -hmm. he was like a last minute addition, and it became a huge turning point in his career in Japan, where he was actually like treated like the Japanese wrestlers um, because he was part of the stable. So he would like travel with the Japanese wrestlers instead, and all of this stuff. So it was all very interesting. But he got to be a heel that was known for their disrespectful sort of antics, a kind of Japanese DX, if you will. Um, and so he's not totally, this isn't this total first time playing heel. That's why he was frustrated being a babyface because he knew he'd be better at being a heel anyway. Wait, were they DA disrespectful <laughs> antics? <laughs> Disrex. Um, Jericho's stuff with the belt early on, refusing to take off the belt. Love it. Here love he- it. Love it. Love it. And then he says, please take the belt. Take it. Like when he gets like, <laughs> he gets, gets winded from belt. it. And then oh, so good. He throws a fucking tantrum in the ring when the Jericho sucks chance starts to rain, rain down. It's, it's great. And this is also my first experience with, uh, Juventud Guerrera, who is an amazing talent himself. Yes. Yep. One of Jericho's um, favorites to work with. Does okay. Qu- here's a question, and I guess maybe this is something for Bobby to answer because he read the book. Uh, I feel does Jericho regard facial hair as like uh, a- another way of expressing his character? Yes, like because yes. that that facial hair seemed very much to be like holy shit like i am yes. a, a huge cheese ball i have yes. it in my notes as the beard of jericho <laughs> yes he was like i'm gonna shave my beard stupid i'm gonna wear my hair in this like gene simmons poodle top knot and i'm going to wear like these ridiculous clothes and be this like loud not i'm not gonna like look cool and dress in black and look cool i'm going to look stupid and be obnoxious 
that okay that's emotional comedy yes. because that's a guy who who you know he yeah like if you ask him you know if he if he has to come up with stuff on his own he'll he'll just you know reference a bunch of tv shows in some cases but like he it's like the same way that like John Waters is like so fucking amazing at what he does. It's like he has this aesthetic, this aesthetic eye for like camp for, for being like a huge cheese ball. Like he knows exactly what buttons to push. It's so good. Yep. And even down to him getting his hand on the rope during the three count, like also kind of establishing him as this person you hate, but also a person who, who knows the sport well enough that he's able to win even after that absolutely gorgeous 450 that Juventus pulled off. Yeah. And then calling Juventus Quasimodo at the end when Juventus loses and is forced to take off his mask. And then he takes off his mask and he's one of the most beautiful men that I've ever seen in (laughs) my life. I know. So funny. They were like, quick, cover your face with your hair so no one knows how pretty you are. (laughs) (laughs) My, I love that because it's, it's like, it's like some sort of like weird, uh, science experiment where it's like, we told a whole group of people to tell like, uh, like a thin person that she was fat. It's like the over and over. episode. It's uh, Eye of the Beholder. <laughs> right, right, right. But we all have pink faces. Yeah, Juventus, where's your snout? <laughs> Next one we go to uh, took place two weeks before WrestleMania 14. Uncensored 98 versus Dean Malenko. Eee, I'm so excited to talk about this. <laughs> Go right ahead, Bobby. Can you tell me about Dean Malenko? Yes, I, don't I would. Understand. I would love to. Dean Malenko, uh, his father was a famous wrestler in the, in the in the territories. Boris Malenko, he died, I believe, also like brothers. I think it's like a whole Malenko clan. Um, but he was another one of these wrestlers, like Eddie, like Chris Benoit, like Jericho, that was in this sort of uh, undercard group. Uh, uh, he played this character that was Man of a Thousand Holds. Was his whole gimmick? So of course, are Jericho you sure? Comes uh, out. Are you are you sure his whole or his character isn't? Um your dad's friend from work he's so stone-faced and he's so boring and jericho picks up being boring but apparently in real life he was actually very funny and a huge drunk and like very silly and the opposite of what he played on tv which i thought was interesting but anyway so it's going with this jericho is feuding with him and jericho so of course you know d malenko's man of a thousand holds and uh-huh. so what did jericho do he's man of a thousand and four holds <laughs> And so he goes around. That's so funny. Because he knows four more holds than Dean Malenko does. And again, this is stuff that there's no no one at WCW was writing this for him. Like, they're just uh. like, whatever. So Jericho's going out there, and he's got uh, a stack of index cards, and he's just reading them on TV going, like, uh, Japanese armbar, the press hold, the panini press, the Mexican armbar, armbar. And, like, it was so it was so funny. Like number three forty seven. Wait, that was that was was that during this was that there during this uh match? Not during this no, match, this no, was no, the no. lead up to this. this I'm given sort of like the okay, context. I really got it, got it. I was like, how did I miss this? But They're on the really... back of Jericho's pants it said a thousand and four. And that's why, because he's the man of a thousand and four holds. <laughs> four more it, than got Dean it. Malenko. That's amazing. It was really it was during these uh these Dean Malenko matches that I really wished that we had like a, a, a recap package to to go through their yeah. feed. Because apparently what um, Jericho's been doing in the lead-up to this is, so he got the uh, the mask from Juventud, and he, um, so he would be, like, collecting trophies, basically, from the people that he de- defeated. I think he had, like, a headband from 
Disco Inferno that I read and some other things. So this is like the the spaceship in Predator Two. Yeah, exactly. But he also this is like such there's so much Jericho humor baked in this. He keeps calling him Stinko Malenko, which I think is truly one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my entire life. All I want to do is start calling everyone Stinko Malenko. As long as it's not the great Malenko from the Insane Clown Posse. But this and, is great. This match is super Jericho, fun. Yeah, Jericho's starting off coming down the the um coming down and grabbing the sign in praise of him and ripping him up because he's too good to be their role model. Mm. Yeah. Great stuff. And I love the character that Jericho is playing here where it's we know we've seen him succeed. We've seen what he's capable of. He just doesn't really want to right now. He just wants the accolades, and he doesn't want to have to put in any of the work for it. So, so this is actually when I when I started noting that like Jericho's version of being a heel, where uh, this is really, it, this is about kind of like about having an ego. Like you're a wrestler, but you also have an ego, and I guess like like badass Billy Gunn sort of did something like this but everything in uh in wwf at the uh, from what we've seen at the time has been kind of like uh i'm a heel so i'm just gonna like cheat any way i can cheat i'm going to uh you know everything's fuckery right and then and like there's no there's all these like weird storylines like jericho's heel is just like uh, I'm really good at what I do, and you're gonna hate me because of it. Except we don't. <laughs> no, I love. I fucking love, I love him. him more. I love him all the more. Yeah, he acts, and he acts like a smart prima donna. I don't. I have a note that says it's more about ego versus doing your job. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what that means. Um, I, 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 this was at seven in the morning, so I don't know, <laughs> but. He acts like a smart prima donna. Like he, I love the fact that he he falls out of like he gets knocked out of the ring. He's on the ground and he like he lifts his head up and then like goes back down to being knocked out on the ground. And the announcer's like, "Wait, what's he doing? What's he doing?" And then like they're like, "Oh, it's because it, you know if he gets counted out, then he'll uh, then it, you know he won't lose he won't hand over the belt because he's getting counted out." And I'm like, "Why won't?" every other heel champion do that like of course that's what they should all be doing you know what i mean and dean malenko is so fucking good in this match and and seeing twice that move where it's the fireman's carry into the gut buster just looks so yeah so good dean malenko is a little bit like um ken shamrock like through the looking glass or something. It's almost like um, there's like a there's a Ken Shamrock simmering under the surface of Dean Malenko. You know what I mean? Like Dean Malenko's uh, like the dad at home with the simmering rage and the glass of scotch sitting in a dark room staring at nothing. And deep inside, Ken Shamrock is ready to burst out and belly to belly suplex his wife and kids. I I think yeah, like I think of of Dean Malenko as more of a Steve Blackman, but on purpose. Okay. Like like yeah. this, like <laughs> what like okay. the, like I like a, that better like a charisma hole that but that that's supposed to be that 
That okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I was gonna say that Dimalenko is like uh he was like uh one bad hitchhiking ride away from becoming Ken Shamrock, <laughs> but like just never never got in the van. He never had to sleep in a car. Right. It's 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 a it's Ken Shamrock who gets he gets his full eight hours because there's not uh horns blaring around him. Because, yeah, uh, because his I watched... friends didn't wake him up to go fight somebody in a circle of cars. Yes. Uh, well, it's funny because like I watched um I watched that documentary Three Three Identical Strangers. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So it felt a lot like it feels a lot like that to me. Like it's like we took two two twins and separated them at birth, and we gave one of them to a car, <laughs> and we gave the other one to the Malenkos <laughs> to see how. Uh, how an automobile versus a loving family would raise two identical people. And which one would get them to SummerSlam faster? <laughs> <laughs> the Malenkos like, are just carrying <laughs> You guys, who's going to make it to the stadium first? <laughs> Actually, it turns out Dean Malenko and Ken Shamrock and Steve Blackman all smoke the same brand of cigarette. It's so weird. They both. They also both uh, have the same kind of sister and like to sleep with them. <laughs> uh, all right, Slamboree '98. My first question so, is: Who is Lee Marshall, and did a sea witch take his voice? Lee Marshall at the beginning wait. interviews uh, Chris Jericho. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, so Chris Jericho, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> well, I will say between the last two matches, after you know Jericho beat Malenko, he took uh, some time off, so he's been off mm-hmm. the air this whole time. Uh, but while he's been gone, Jericho has continued the feud with him. He carried around a por- he printed out a portrait of Dean Malenko, and we could carry it with him to the ring and say it has more personality than the real Dean Malenko. Oh, that's so uh, good! Wow. So good. Uh, you know, the whole time Jericho's like peak Jericho mode. He's like mispronouncing everybody's names. He's calling him Don Malenko. And Roy Mysterio Jr., Chris Benoit actually was one of them. T- Tooker B, which I think is really funny. Oh, oh man. There was one promo where he had sunglasses on, and he took off the sunglasses to get serious, and there was another pair of sunglasses underneath. <laughs> <laughs> See, it was important oh. you knew that. It was important yes. you knew that. Yes, yes, yes. Oh God. Okay. So Just they've the set up. Best. So they've set up for for the night. There's a cruiserweight battle royal in order to meet Jericho for for the match, and Jericho is not good, content with the uh, the ring announcer announcing all the combatants. So he's the one who's going to do it and saying things like, "Oh, he's just wearing a bunch of makeup. Sooner or later, he's going to buy a mask." Right, right, right. Like, uh, and wearing paint instead of a mask is. Uh, he also gave every. He also rated everybody's chances of winning the title. Yeah, we he's, all, he's got like a, this is this is like a one out of ten. We yeah. also have uh, have noted insane person Marty Janetti in the mask in the match, yep. and yeah. um, and who is the guy in the baggy onk shirt who just seems like he's going to go walk up to everyone after and be like, "Have you guys read the Sandman?" That's Billy Kidman. He's a member of Raven's Flock. His intro from Jericho was, this is Billy Kidman. In a few more years, he'll be 21 and we'll change his name to Billy Man Man. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they were coming so fast. (laughs) I missed that. Wait, no, I thought he said something about calamine lotion for Billy Kidman. There was another one. Wait, what was the other one? Um, Silver King with 20,000 freaking flyer points will be upgraded to Gold King. (laughs) 
<laughs> yes, I I heard that. That was awesome. He's Wait, he didn't he say something about the didn't the guy who who came out scratching himself? Didn't he mention calamine lotion for him? I Maybe missed that someone one. else. That was know. also Lenny Lane. God, what, there was, there was uh, it was great. The whole thing was great. Uh-huh. Well, the the match itself, the Cruiserweight Battle Royal was boring as shit to me until Yeah, yeah, end. that actually sucked. I fast forwarded through it, yeah. <laughs> I watched it, but it, it really there was nothing worth mm-hmm. seeing. Uh, but at the end, we have uh, Ciclope and Juventud staring each other down. Juventud eliminates himself, and then, oh, that's not Ciclope. It's Dean fucking so, Malenko. The crowd goes fucking wild. That is a le- that's, that's, that's one of those legendary pops, actually, that folks mm-hmm. talk about. So Ciclope, was, was he like an actual wrestler who had wrestled before? Yes. Yes. And, and was, he ever, was, he, was he a different person from Dean Malenko? Yes. yes. It would have been great. Okay. It would have been great if they cut to the back and Cyclope was back there tied to a chair in his underwear. <laughs> <laughs> also, uh, is this where Kane got his idea to attach hair to the mask? Right? I literally, this is truly also one of my big takeaways. I was watching <laughs> and I was like, aha, the plot thickens. We've talked a lot about how much um, we hate the, like, kind of the new Austin style of a match where it's like brawl, brawl, brawl. But Malenko just going fucking ham on Jericho to start this match was so satisfying, even though I missed like the basically the entire feud in the meantime. They're, it, when they're that good, they're able to, just from the match, um, telegraph the entirety of this feud, basically. The facial expression. Yeah, it, 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 Jericho's yeah. selling. It's amazing. Oh, no. This felt earned. This felt... The, I you know like I you know having seen the last Dean Malenko match and then this Dean Malenko match I was like oh no this this feels earned like after you know Mean Gene like went fucking ham on him mm-hmm. and basically Dean Malenko was like I'm going home mm-hmm. uh like yeah like I was I was on board with this the problem I'm never against like a brawling match the problem is when it's just when everything is a brawl mm-hmm. you know what I mean like it's like. All right. Uh, when do we get to see like more of the fun stuff again? Agreed. And it's nothing but fun stuff with Jericho. Yeah. And so in July yeah. of 1999, on Monday Night Raw, there started being this countdown clock that would appear. It's oh, like count- wait. Oh, wait, could I? Um, yeah, take it clean. The w- yeah, can I tie up the WCW stuff? Yep, yep. Take uh, it clean, there's... and then I'll I'll okay. start off with that again. Yeah, yeah, because I think there's some interesting stuff here that I think is important. Mm-hmm. Okay, so after the Dean Malenko stuff, like, this was basically the the peak of Jericho's career in WCW was this feud. He said this is, like, the biggest thing he did, um, his favorite moment. It doesn't get better than this. But he continued to, like, have a character after this. Uh, he filmed a really famous vignette where he went around D.C. claiming he was a cons- uh, the victim of a conspiracy because Dean Malenko had illegally registered in the Battle Royal. And it was a very, like, DX-ish thing where Jericho showed up to film some vignette and there was no plan. So he just, like, walked around D.C., tried to get in the White House. So they have him, like, with the Secret Service and stuff. Um, so very of, like, similar to, like, that sort of, like, DX infiltration style um, but he did that to basically made him look like a big crybaby, being like, "Wow, I'm a I'm a victim." So that was great. But the thing that really this is the final nail in the coffin for Jericho in WCW. Goldberg is getting over huge. Goldberg is the biggest thing in the company. He's killing everyone, squashing everybody. Jericho starts this thing where he knows that Goldberg's not going to be there, and he essentially like comes out 
calls out Goldberg. When Goldberg doesn't show up, he says that he forfeits. And they start saying that like, he beat Goldberg, basically. So he's like, Jericho won, Goldberg zero. And he keeps coming up with all these ways for him to like beat Goldberg, quote unquote. Uh, and rack up these victories and whatever. And then oh, he starts like so impersonating Goldberg. So then he starts getting mm-hmm. his own security service. So they come into the back and they knock on his door and they walk to the arena, but he keeps getting lost and like going out the wrong doors and getting locked in the parking lot and shit like that. Bobby, Very that, funny. Hey, Bobby, is that Ralphus? Ralphus, yes. Yeah. Ralphus is the Jericho personal security, JPS. He's wearing like a crop top. Um, and and Ralphus was like a truck driver for WCW that Chris Jericho was just like, <laughs> you want to be famous? He was a, yeah, he was a crew guy, and he just looked like insane. And he was like, "You want to be on television?" Uh, so he ended up having Ralphus be his personal security guard, all this stuff. So then, uh, turn. So he, basically, at one point, Jericho gets called into the office, and it's Hogan, Bischoff, and Goldberg. And Goldberg is pissed, and he's like, "You better fucking knock it off with this stupid comedy bullshit. I'm not doing this comedy bullshit. I'm not doing this with you. Like this is not like because Jericho is just doing this." Mm-hmm. And Goldberg is like, "I'm not. We're not doing this together. Like I'm not, I don't do comedy bullshit." Jer- Goldberg's still pretty new to the whole business, and he's like all mad and thinks it makes it look makes him look stupid and all this stuff. So they're like, "You're gonna end it." Chris, you're just going to get, like, beat, and we're going to do the squash, it's going to be over, and Jericho's like, that's insane, you should, bo-. like, there's, at the time, cause it, like, the angle's getting over, it's, people have a lot of interest, there's tons of signs, like, um, Jericho's next, Goldberg fears Jericho, like, it's getting over, mm-hmm. and so Jericho's like, make it a pay-per-view match, he's like, I'll lose, he can still squash me, but he should squash me in, like, epic fashion, he could give me a hundred jackhammers, he should, like, people want to see me shut up so bad, he's like, people will pay money to do it, like, don't just have him squash me on TV for nothing. Um, and basically though Goldberg puts the kibosh on that and he ends up doing the squash and then it just the, the angle descends Ugh. but there is a great night though where Jericho has because they were supposed to do it on a night they they think they delayed it for like a week because the night they had the fight that was supposed to happen that night and Jericho says no let's do the pay-per-view and they're like alright what should we do tonight then and Jericho came up with this idea where he's in the ring and uh I think it's Gene Okerlund says that uh, Goldberg's not in the building tonight. So Jericho's all pompous and whatever. And then on the screen, you see Goldberg pop in, but Jericho's not looking. So he doesn't realize that Goldberg has arrived. And as he's walking around, uh, Goldberg comes out and spears him on the in the ramp entranceway. And I mean, and Jericho takes the spear and like flips backwards three times. Like awesome. it's awesome. It, you should check it out. It looks like it, it like it would have knocked him out of his shoes, which also was an idea Jericho had for the squash he wanted to do at the pay-per-view where he would untie his shoes so they would literally fly off and Goldberg speared him. Oh. But anyway, <laughs> I know. So good. But the Jericho was, but Jericho was right. And he was like, this is a good angle. It would get over. He's like, I'll, he, Jericho was like, it wasn't about not being squashed or not taking the loss. He's like, it doesn't have to be competitive or anything, but if we're going to do it, do it big. And when they were like, nah, he was like, fuck this place, man. Like, I know I'll never, this is like not where I'm supposed to be or like how I'm ever going to, I'm never going to be successful at this company. And that was like one of the big, big final deciding factors to leave. So I wait, so how is he able to like get the Goldberg angle started in the first place without like Bischoff and Goldberg or whoever, like behind it? Like, how does that work? Because like, does, do they just say like, okay, um, we're going to send you some cameras and uh, they're going to have you do stuff. It's all in-ring promo stuff. It's not like big complicated, like down at the oh, okay. fucking Got it. whatever. And, you know, and none of the producers and bookers, The thing that's the thing. The WCW is so disorganized that none of the individual bookers and producers are talking to each other. 
So it'd be like uh, Vince doesn't know what Vince Russo is doing, who doesn't know what Bruce Pritchard is doing, like because no one's talking to each other. Everyone's just kind of like, yeah, you're in charge. You got the Jericho segment queued up, sure, whatever, yeah. And that's that's it. Yeah. It's like not run. It's not run at all how we think of how it, television would be run. And that was part of Chris's whole thing. Chris said the one time WCW FedExed him an empty envelope, and he was like, "Yep, that's that's WCW." He's like, "They have <laughs> no fucking idea what the fuck is happening." Um, at any moment. Uh... <laughs> so that's why. And people there just, it was a miserable place to work. He said, everyone was just like, everyone was miserable. Everyone was like scared for their job. Like it was a really shitty environment that people didn't excel in. And like, like wait, the wait, WCW... a, a wrestling promotion is a shitty environment to work in? <laughs> you don't say. But even compared to, but even right. compared to what we talk about uh-huh. in terms of, in terms of uh, at least relative to wrestlers like mm-hmm. when they think of opportunity and what hard work would get them and that kind of stuff i mean the whole thing was just a shit show and it was just like the big names at the top who didn't know anything and didn't want to work hard didn't want to plan work into the matches and all this stuff and so in july of 1999 on monday night raw you start seeing this countdown clock that says countdown to the millennium i think it started at something like 670 hours away um and so week after week we're wondering what this i was wondering what this countdown clock was for although i think some fans had already figured it out i didn't know who this guy was but on august 9th the rock is doing a promo against the big show um oh but earlier in the night the, the countdown is at one hour 25 minutes so we're getting there so later in the night rock promo against big show uh Talks about little bitty things that he calls balls, and that's when the clock hits zero. And there are explosions, and we hear break the walls down for the first time, uh, despite what the WWE Network would have you believe, considering it they've uh, worked it into all the old Chris Jericho matches where he was using a ripoff of Even Flow by Pearl Jam as his ring music. <clears throat> yeah, this this is, you know, Jericho who struggled to get over was this terrible babyface character in WCW, like shows up to WWF, has an entrance, has merchandise, has all this stuff ready and says it, it like said that it felt like like walking into Oz. That like, you know, he was in this place where he was like struggling in the shit and working so hard and he comes here where it seems like everything is uh there's like all this stru- infrastructure in place and he's being given this opportunity and they're taking him seriously and his ideas seriously. The countdown clock was Jericho's idea. He saw it in a post office, a countdown to the millennium uh, in the post office. And that's where it came from. Uh, and he originally pitched his uh, finisher to be called the Y2J problem. And mm-hmm. I think it was, I can't remember if it was Jim Ross or Bruce Pritchard now, but someone was like, no, 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 that's your name. You're Y2J. That's that's going to be your – that that should be your character. And that's how it all sort of started coming together. I know. I heard – So did, the... did he turn – did he turn the lion tamer – oh, sorry. Go on. You can I, – I, I'm going ahead of myself. I know. I heard um, Welcome to Raw is Jericho and just like chills up and down my arm for the first time hearing that. I can't. Yeah, I, that was that was like um that was like a you know Austin three sixteen moment for me. It was and, awesome. God, and, he's so fucking good. And every choice that he made with his hair that night is just the absolute worst. That that <laughs> yeah. that that giant soul patch, I guess. I, I I think he took all the hair that uh, Paul White shaved from uh, the middle of his face and put <laughs> it on his own. That thing is trying to escape 
and he's the Ayatollah of rock and rolla, and a new era is starting. And you could just tell, like, The Rock isn't on screen for any of this, but you could tell that he is just stewing, waiting to unleash against this guy. But also imagine you're booked for your your entrance against The Rock. Like, yeah. you're premiering against The Rock. I mean, like, that's, like, what a vote of confidence that is. And you're that, holding like, your own against The Rock. Without yeah. a doubt. And even though, even like when you're getting chewed up and, and served back by The Rock... I mean, he just looked great. He just mm-hmm. looked fucking great. Yeah, he know he knows how to like, he he knows how to suddenly become this muttering guy. It's it's he plays the part so well. Uh, he like he the the biggest thing he does is he establishes his character right mm-hmm. away. He does it amazingly. He do, like he has that 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 stutter joke, which was really really good. Um, yeah. It, it was it was yeah it, it it did give me chills it was pretty awesome um i think it's really funny the way the rock's response is because first of all the ky jelly plan i think it was i thought was pretty funny um but also <clears throat> the way that the rock responds to jericho and or or maybe the way he's doing his promos at this point in his career is like Bat shit crazy. It's like Mumenschanz. Like he, you know, he'll he like puts himself in these like modern dance poses, and then he just like stops there and pauses for like thirty seconds, and then he just like spouts out one of his other things. It's like if you the the way his his body language is similar to like what you see in in cartoons to a certain degree. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He is just like not how it, it's not how a human behaves, but like it's awesome. Throughout um throughout the pandemic, a lot of like wrestling content um that I've seen a lot is this idea of the wrestling Mount Rushmore. Um people looking to to spend some time, so there's been a lot of discussion who's on your wrestling Mount Rushmore. And you never hear Chris Jericho mentioned on there. However, much like our greatest president and maybe the only great president, Franklin Roosevelt, is not on the Mount Rushmore. Chris Jericho is probably the greatest of all time. I enthusiastically co-sign. I feel like Chris Jericho as the Franklin Roosevelt of wrestling is probably the most apt, wonderful comparison I could ever possibly dream of. And I think we should end this podcast forever right now. <laughs> Cause I don't think, I don't think a better observation will come of it. Uh, please subscribe, like and subscribe. Uh, but I, that's all I was thinking about while I was watching this. And I was like, Oh, it's so obvious. Like people, I, you know, I think about it too. Like who would, who would I think is the best wrestler? And I don't have the, I feel like I never really think about it too much. Cause I don't think I have the breadth of knowledge to cover territories in WCW to have like a real, so it would have to be very specific to WWE, WWF Mount Rushmore. Um, Cause I feel like I don't have that context. The, but watching this and being like, there's no one better. He is incredible in the ring, like incredibly skilled. He has almost unparalleled longevity. When you consider not just the amount of time he has been a wrestler, but the, let the caliber of wrestler he has been mm-hmm. the level of wrestling he is capable of still doing for that amount of time 
is unparalleled. He's not like cashing a Hogan check or whatever. He's not showing up at Crown Jewel once a year. Yeah, like, even he... even the Undertaker, we we think of as being the benchmark for longevity in wrestling. I don't think it is still doing the caliber of matches that Chris Jericho is still doing today with AEW. Oh my god, not even fucking close. And has had the history of like not having injuries, has had the history of like not um dying early. I mean like all of these things that like for a generation and also like Jericho was a partier. Like Jericho did it wasn't like that he was like a a, a teetotaler and that's how he made it through because he was like a like, you know, a, a good a good boy. But he just like he's he's perfect for wrestling. I mean, he just gets it and he gets the humor. He knows how to entertain and work a crowd and put all the pieces together. And there's no one that has done it better for longer. He is the standard. Like I, I, there's just nothing. I think there's no one. Yeah. I'm like, Shawn Michaels, shut up. You know what I mean? I think about (laughs) it. I'm like, how dare you? Yeah. Uh, You know, even Austin, it's like uh, the cultural impact. Yes. But we've already seen the best of Austin. I think. You know, uh, it's that's it was well, especially if you consider from an in ring perspective, at least. Yes, I mean, yes, yes, yes. So come on, like it's very, uh, it it is crazy because I don't, I agree, I don't think you hear about it because it didn't feel like he was, it doesn't feel like he's uh, an old timer because mm-hmm. he's still so relevant and still so innovative and still so good. I mean, like he's still coming up with new finishers, the Judas effect and like all of the stuff that he's still like adapting his style. Think of the list. I mean, there's a, there's a fucking there's, the list. There's a oh. comedian in New York, uh, as much as anyone's a comedian in New York anymore, who <laughs> still references all the time, the list, which let's not parse that apart, but still like the <laughs> cultural impact it has is very, was, was huge. It's it just so funny. Uh, he's, there's, there's no one like him. And not only that, but to be emblematic of so many different kinds of wrestling around the world, mm-hmm. to also be like, not only am I a standard bearer by my quality, but also as I represent this diversity of experience in some way, as much as a blonde white man from Canada could, uh, that has all these different, that can showcase all these different styles of the best wrestling from around the world, of a, the be- a piece for you Gretchen Wieners kind of shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I just love it. I just think he's the yeah. best. I, 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 this, this whole thing, I'm going to keep reading his books now. I'm going to just keep going because now I'm interested. I want to know more about what it was like then when he was at WWF and whatever because I just think that he's, it's, I feel like Chris, about Chris Jericho the way I feel about The Simpsons, which is absolutely something that's very important to me and I love, but I hesitate to associate as a fan of it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hmm. Like if I bought, if I, like I, don't, I, I don't think I'd listen to Chris Jericho's podcast. Oh God, no, 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 no. Do Do you think in Chris Jericho's later books he starts making curb your enthusiasm jokes? <laughs> I, I I worry that'll be like Joe Rogan jokes or something. I don't oh. want to know. Ugh. That's what I mean. Like so I, I follow. I, yeah, I follow him on uh, on Instagram, and you know he's a, he's a good follow. I enjoy him. You know he seems like a he seems like a good dude. I, for the life of me, I cannot understand why he's so dedicated to his band Fozzy, but, you know, God bless him. He's like a, he really is like a hair metal guy at heart. I feel that. All right. Love us? Disagree? Want to? Teach us a 1,005th hold? (laughs) Uh, ooh. I don't know. Uh, nope. I, I, I don't know. Want to... Well, okay. I had a question. Sorry. I, I don't want... I actually... This is a question that was stuck in my head. 
I want to know. I guess I'll 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 throw it in there, shoehorn it. Want to know if the lion tamer became the walls of Jericho? Yeah, yeah, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Then go on, Aaron. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how you're going to cut that, Bobby, but let us know. <laughs> Email us at hellinacellphone at gmail dot com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at Hell in a Cell Pod or tweet at us individually. Eric at Prime Silver, Bobby at Bobby Hank, and Aaron at Slow Pass. Our theme song is There Are Traitors in Our Mitts by Disco Vietnam, and our art is by Alexis Yavney. Find links for both in our episode notes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get our or wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be back again for SummerSlam 1999. Wait, I was gonna say one more thing because I, I shamelessly cribbed from it this entire episode. And I think it's worth your time and money. The name of Chris Jericho's book, uh, first book, is A Lion's Tale Around the World in Spandex. Highly recommend it. I've had it, I, I read it in, a, in literally one sitting. It's a very easy read. Um, it sounds like him. It's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it, and I think I should, I should have plugged it a little bit since I did definitely crib from it this whole time. <laughs> Bobby, what was, what was the thing about him and, uh, and Vince McMahon eating uh, brownies that you sent me? Yes. Okay. This is really funny. I'll share this. This is in the book. So, you know, uh, wrestling contract negotiations, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of sort of like whining and dining. Jericho is brought for a secret meeting with Vince McMahon. He's flown to Vince McMahon's house. The sign at the airport waiting for him says Robinson. Like it's very like secret that he's going there. And he, you know, WCW is a mess. Eric Bischoff is always like walking around in sweatpants, like in his leather jacket, like doesn't give a fuck. Then he goes to Vince McMahon, not a hair's out of place. It's a perfect suit. He's like in this like sunken living room, like at, at, at their house. And then it's just Vince and Jericho sitting there and they brought out brownies and they eat a brownie and they have this moment where the two of them are like looking like, should we, should we, should we have another brownie? <laughs> and, and it was this moment that, that Jericho was like, oh, this is like a bonding moment between us. And they like look at each other and he's like, wow, Vince is human just like me. And Vince goes... <laughs> Well, let's have another brownie. Nothing wrong with two gentlemen having a second brownie, right? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I was like, this sounds like the setup to an X-Tube clip. Like, nothing wrong with two gentlemen sharing a brownie. Are you serious? Right here in front of my brownie? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny that, that Jericho is like, well... You know, Vince is a human just like me. And then Vince says the least human thing that could possibly come out of his mouth. I proved you wrong. Ha ha.